0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. A Psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails me, even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbours stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. I'm like a deaf man who cannot hear, like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I've become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Saviour.
1: Well, Peter, thank you very much indeed for reading. Please do keep that psalm uh, open in front of you, Psalm 38, page uh, 565. Uh, On the back of your service sheets, you'll also uh, find a sort of brief outline of where we're going tonight. But as we begin, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help uh, tonight. Uh, with this uh, hard and in some ways painful psalm. We pray that you res- would be very responsive to all that you have uh, to say to us uh, through it. And uh, we pray that you would open our hearts uh, to receive that. Uh, but we pray that you'd also open our hearts and our mouths so that we're, we're equipped to, to, to pray like this ourselves. And uh, we ask for your help tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I wonder if I were to ask you, uh, what's the worst possible, the worst possible state you could imagine yourself in? Uh, or put put it slightly different way, what's the worst possible situation you could imagine yourself in? Uh, I wonder what we, how you would answer that. Uh, TV scriptwriters, of course, have a lot of fun with questions like these ones. And uh, they they, they sort of work to paint their characters into more and more impossible situations. You know, someone makes a mistake, they do something wrong, for example. And and in dealing badly with the mistake, a worse mistake is made and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, Take uh, one police uh, drama I watched with my wife uh, Catherine uh, recently. Uh, let me give you a brief outline of the plot. It goes like this. It begins with a, a de- deputy chief inspector getting into a fight with a forensic es- expert, as happens all the time, of course, and uh, she accidentally kills him in the fight. She doesn't think she can prove it was in self-defense, so she covers it up. She plants evidence. She brings false accusations against people. In the end, she even tries to frame her husband. Uh, then, to cap it all, uh, a wound she received in the original fight goes septic, and she wakes up in hospital with her hand amputated. Uh, I'm not making this up. This is exactly how it went. <laughs> and you know, you kind of wonder as you're watching this where is this going? Where is this going? I can remember uh, after episode two, I think, uh, turning to uh, Catherine and saying, This is not going to end well. And it didn't. Now, in lesser ways, I hope we've all have found ourselves caught up in that kind of downward spiral. You know, things getting from worse to first worse, you know, worse to worse, and then you know, make, you make a mistake, and then and sort of trying to deal with the state, mistake badly, it gets worse, and uh, we end up in situations sometimes that feel utterly, utterly desperate, and we simply can't see a way out of it. And we may also be very aware in those moments that in the end it's our own fault. And uh, if that hasn't happened to you yet, believe me that you're quite unusual. And believe me, it surely will. Uh, but no matter how bad we might imagine things could get, I, I, I bet it's not as bad as the situation we've just been hearing about from Psalm 38. Uh, This, as you can see, is a psalm of David, and David is experiencing the ultimate bad day. It's an unbearable anguish that he's going through, and what's more, he deserves it, and he knows that he deserves it, and he's quite free in admitting that. Uh, And worse still, his friends have left him, and his enemies are circling like vultures, waiting to take advantage. But although this is a very hard psalm to, uh, to read and a hard psalm to listen to, I hope in the end that we'll find tonight that this is a wonderful psalm. This is a wonderful psalm. It's even, I might say, an encouraging psalm uh, because it encourages us that no matter how bad things are, and they can get pretty bad as we'll see, there is always, always a way out. And uh, this is David tonight encouraging us to pour out our hearts and cry out to the Lord no matter how bad things are. You know, even, even if it's our own stupid fault that we got to this place, even if we're placed, we've placed ourselves stupidly again at odds with the one we're praying to. I mean, think about that for a moment. Placing yourself at odds with the one we're praying to. Even if that's the case, And even if everyone around us is making it worse rather than better. So I hope in the end this will be an encouraging, encouraging psalm. But let's take a closer look. You can see uh, very clearly, I hope, that this is a psalm about crying out to the Lord. Uh, That is the way that it begins, and that is how it ends. These are uh, verses uh, one, and uh, the final verses, verses 21 and 22. It's It's a cry, it's a prayer, it's a plea. Essentially saying, have mercy, help me. Have mercy. That is, acknowledge that our sin, all our rebellion, all our our wrongdoing, all our failure, our sin has placed us at at odds with our God under his anger, under his wrath, under his judgment. And And then as we acknowledge that, we cry out, Have mercy. We pray for those things to be lifted from us, that anger to be taken away. That's what this is a a prayer for. Verse one, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. And of course, as you'll know, there, there are people around who will claim and say that God couldn't possibly ever get angry or get angry even at sin, but that's clearly not David's understanding here. You know, his sin, he knows it, he has created a real problem between him and God. I think we instinctively all know that this is the case, however much we want to avoid it. Uh, But David's clear and he's encouraging us to be clear as well. You know, I'm not gonna avoid this problem He says, I can't pretend that this problem between me and you, Lord, isn't there. That judgment, this judgment is rightly coming my way. I'm not gonna avoid it. Rather, I'm gonna do something about it. Or rather, I'm going to appeal to the only one who can do something about it. You see, if the problem is, is the wrath of God upon us because of our sin, then the only one who can take it away is the one who put it there in the first place. And so this is the first thing that David encourages us to do, to, to make our appeal to God and to cry out to him for this to be lifted. O oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Uh, he puts it slightly differently at the end of the psalm, but it's, you can see it's the same general idea. Verses 21 and 22. O oh Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me. O oh my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Saviour. But the basic idea, you can see there, is the same. Don't forsake me. Don't abandon me. In short, help me. Have mercy on me and help me. But it's interesting, isn't it? It's clear. There's more to the the psalm than just that that prayer, just that plea, and those opening and closing verses. This is also a psalm that encourages us to express ourselves to God with uh, real openness. Uh, In other words, to give give a sort of substance to these cries for mercy and help. And in fact, that's what most of the psalm is devoted to. And uh, I think we'll see that it falls into two parts. The first part of the psalm up to verse 10 deals with David, the man who's in real anguish because of his sin. And then the second half deals with David, uh, a man abandoned by his friends and attacked by his enemies. Okay, then let's have a look at the uh, first half and learn a little more about how to cry out to the Lord. This is how to cry out to the Lord for mercy. Verses uh, 2 through to 10. Have mercy on me, says David, a sinner in anguish. Although I deserve this, says David to his Lord, I trust that you'll be responsive to the anguish I'm going through. And it is indeed a very intense anguish. an anguish in all sorts of overlapping ways. There's mental anguish, Uh, Verse 6, for example, David's been brought low. He's going around as if he's in mourning. Verse 8, he's crushed. He's groaning in anguish of heart. Verse 10, his heart is pounding. The light has gone from his eyes. And all this is mixed up with what seems to be a physical pain, physical anguish. Verses 3 and 7, there's no health in his body. His bones are aching. His back is killing him. Verse 10, he has wounds that are festering and loathsome. And all of this is spiritual anguish. It's his own fault. Verse three again, it's because of his sin. He says it really clearly, verse four. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Verse five, all of this is because of my own sinful folly, says David. In short, I know that I deserve this. Now, David doesn't tell us uh, how he sinned. We're not given that particular detail. We're not told all of the details about how all this suffering came about. Uh, are these physical symptoms? Are they, are they just a figurative way of talking about the, the mental anguish he's going through? The, the guilt and the shame? Well, that's, that's possible. Are, there, are they real things, but... Uh, Uh, psychosomatic if you like sort of generated by the the mental anguish by the guilt and the shame again that's also possible are they caused by the kind of sin that he's committed you know some sins do have have real and immediate physical consequences to them like um, drug addiction for example or alcoholism or some kinds of sexual immorality you know they have immediate physical effects but we're not really told what kind of sin it was, so again, it's, it's hard to be sure. Is the physical part of what's going on here a, a, a sort of direct judgment caused by a specific sin? Uh, that's possible as well. There's an episode in Numbers uh, chapter 12 where Miriam, you might know this episode, where Miriam opposes Moses and the Lord punishes her immediately with, with, a, with a skin disease and instantly she goes white. You know, there's a, there's a physical suffering as a direct consequence of a particular sin. I don't think that's so likely here because of the way that the physical and the mental are all tied together. But it's, again, it's possible. It's just hard to say. Uh, whatever it is, David is sure, and this is what he makes really clear, David is sure that it's all his fault. That's the, that's the big thing uh, I've been pondering these things this week, wondering how it all fits together. But in the end, I think that's, that's how it all fits together. The less, we need, the less I feel, the more I thought about it, the less I feel we need to sort of pin down exactly what's going on. It doesn't really matter how David got to this place. The point is, this is where he is. And his whole self, he, mental, physical, spiritual, is in the deepest turmoil and anguish. And the further point is, he knows he deserves it. The cause of this, ultimately, is his sin. Verse four again, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. He knows he deserves it. And I guess knowing this, um, David could have done a, a terrible thing at this point. He could have done nothing. He could have just given up. He could have let justice run its course, let the wrath of God work itself out. That's what we're told uh, Judas did when the full force of his betrayal of Jesus hit home. He essentially just gave up. But David didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? Well, look at uh, verse nine with me. This is part of what David uh, says here. This is part of what he believes. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. You see, David knows that the Lord is is not uh, aloof or or distant in his anger. Uh, The Lord is paying attention. He sees and he knows everything. And in particular, he knows David. So there's no sense in denial or hiding or running away or giving in or David trying to fix this himself. David knows the Lord, his God, is listening. And he trusts that the Lord will be responsive when he opens up. So that's what he does. He opens up, pouring out all of his pain. He doesn't hold back. And he cries out for mercy. And and you know, that's such an important thing. It's such an important thing that David wants to help anyone in a similar kind of turmoil to do the same, to not give up. And if you're in a a bad place here this evening, it's fantastic that you've come along this evening, uh, then listen up here because... Believe me, this is particularly what you need to hear. David wants you to follow his example, to do what he did, and open up with all of your pain and cry out for mercy. That's why David wrote this psalm down as a prayer for others to use. You know, as he did that and as he published that, and as it became a part of what the people did, he's, he's inviting, inviting all of his people to join in with this kind of prayer. That's why this psalm is here in the Bible. So that all of us can be encouraged in that moment of deepest despair to do the right thing, to do the only thing that makes sense in that situation, which is to, to open up to God and to cry out to him for mercy. But I wonder if these uh, verses uh, also reminded you of someone else suffering in uh, lonely anguish. Uh, A man even more desperately lonely than David was here. Uh, Like David, a man in physical turmoil. But a physical turmoil even worse than the one that's described here. His wrists and his ankles have been nailed into beams of wood and uh, those beams have been uh, lifted up vertically so that he's hanging on the nails he can't breathe if he pushes on the nails he can he can breathe just enough just enough to keep himself alive but the pain is so intense when he does that that it makes him pass out periodically. Like David, he's also in mental and spiritual anguish. The sky has literally gone black, dark, as a sign of the judgment and wrath of God. And he cries out in his anguish, crushed by the full weights of the God-forsaken mortality he has taken upon himself. But in one essential way, he is not like David because he is Jesus who committed no sin. He's not bearing his own sin in that agony or the consequences of his own sin. He came to save others from their sin He is bearing the God-forsaken anguish of others. I said a moment ago that David was somehow able to trust that God would be responsive to his cry to remove the the weight of judgment pressing upon him. It's actually, when you stop to think about it, it's quite a brave thing to trust that God could do that. If uh, God's righteous anger at his sin was, uh, was indeed righteous, was right, and it was, and if David fully deserved it, and he did, then how can the Lord simply just sort of take it away as if it didn't matter? Well, now we know how God is able to do that on the cross. The anger and wrath due to someone like David is borne by Jesus. He took it all, and all the agony and the anguish and the guilt and shame associated with it he took it on behalf of others now now of course all of that happened long after david's sin and david's prayer of course but uh, the apostle paul tells us this is uh, romans chapter 3 verse 25 that it happened to demonstrate god's justice because in his forbearance god had left sins like david's sins the ones he had committed unpunished beforehand And uh, that death on the cross allows God to do the same for anyone now who trusts in Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, uh, Jesus tells the story of a a tax collector, a notorious sinner, uh, coming to the temple to pray, uh, standing at a distance, beating his breasts and crying out words that echo some of uh, David's words here. This was his prayer. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus comments that this man went away right with God, with the wrath at his sin lifted from him, and all that agony and that terrible burden taken away. That was me uh, 26 years ago. In a first-floor sitting room in Oxford, uh, feeling the burden of my sin and, and shame for the very first time, feeling my intense need for forgiveness, and then crying out to God for mercy. I wonder if that could be you tonight. I wonder if there might be some here tonight, in and that, in that, that kind of anguish because of your sin. Perhaps feeling it properly for the very first time. This, that could become your prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Psalm 38 could become your prayer. Oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. And it's certainly not the case that this psalm suddenly becomes redundant once we've come to Christ and found that forgiveness. As, you, as you'll know if you've been a Christian for any time at all, the Christian life is very up and up and down and there are, there are good times but there are also difficult times. There are times sometimes of despair. There are times when our faith is weak. Uh, there are times when we've messed up so badly we genuinely wonder if there's any way back. There are times when our behavior has been so inconsistent with being a disciple of Jesus we might wonder if we ever were truly a disciple of Jesus. Well, those are times to pray like this as well. Let's let David encourage us not to give in to despair in those moments, but to be open with our God and to pray all of this in the light of Christ, knowing that he knows from personal experience what, you know, exactly what we're going through in terms of the anguish, knowing too that he can Our God can and will be responsive to our cry for mercy because Christ's death and resurrection guarantee it. As we finish here, there's a whole aspect of of David's anguish we haven't even had uh, time to touch on yet. and This is the second half of the psalm from verse 11 onwards. Uh, Verses 11 through to 20, Help me, says David, and save me from my friends and enemies. Save me, says David, uh, from people who have no mercy, from those who hate me beyond what I deserve. Now, you might have thought that David's experience in the first half of the psalm was bad enough, but the truth is, of course, we don't uh, suffer from our sin in a vacuum, and sometimes, sadly, the people around us make it worse rather than better. Uh, And that was clearly David's experience. Verse 11, my friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds, my neighbors stay far away. Verses 12 and 16, uh, we see his enemies are are taking advantage of his failure and his misfortune. Uh, Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. Deception. Now David doesn't quite know what they're plotting. Verse 13, he can't quite hear what they're saying. He, he can't, therefore, speak in his own defense. He's, he's impotent in, in the face of all this kind of gossip and hostility, helpless. And, and, and the real trouble here is that quite a lot of this is a desertion and a hatred that is undeserved. So yes, David says in verse 18, I do confess that I, I'm a sinner. I have done something wrong. But these are people who are reacting beyond that, who are hating me without good reason. Verse 20, you know, I do good and they repay me with evil. I pursue the right thing and they slander me and they circle round like vultures or like seagulls. Let me tell you about seagulls in Sydney, Australia. You know they're, they're smaller than British seagulls, so that can uh, that can be deceptive, though, because you might you might expect them to be less of a danger. But let me say these are these are dense packages of almost pure wickedness. <laughs> so trying to eat your fish and chips in an open space. It turns from what should be a a deeply pleasurable experience because, uh, you know, Australian fish and chips are pretty good. It turns that experience into a time of defensive, adrenaline-packed fear. Dozens of greedy eyes surround you. And you know that if uh, if you let your attention drop, even for a nanosecond, they'll be at you. Well, that's how David felt. In Psalm 38. Now, just as a quick aside here, please, please note with me just how, how damaging it is uh, when people respond to failure badly. You know, when people respond to someone who's failed badly uh, with, uh, say, withdrawal from them or, or aggression towards them. Sadly, uh, that is often our instinct when somebody fails uh, morally. It's the sin of schadenfreude, that, that, that kind of lift or buzz that we feel when something goes wrong for someone else, but it is a sin, it's a sinful feeling. Now hopefully it should be really obvious how wrong it is to, take, to do what David's enemies here are, are doing and take advantage of his misfortune. But it's also wrong to be like his friends here in verse 11, you know, walking away, avoiding him. Uh, I think when that happens, and it does happen, it shows we misunderstand the seriousness of our own sin. It shows we misunderstand grace. It shows a a lack of compassion, a a lack of the kind of compassion and love that God has shown to us. These are are quite serious things and we've got to be on our guard against them. When someone fails, actually it's time to draw close to them, not to pull back from them. But well, let's go back to David's experience. He clearly feels uh, isolated and, and crushed and impotent in the face of the, the indifference and the, and, and the hatred that's surrounding him. But again, let's think about what he does about that. You know, he's clearly feeling that, but what does he do about it? You know, he could have responded with, with bitterness towards them. He could have slandered them back. He could have generated some new gossip to spread about them. He could have retaliated with a similar kind of aggression. He could have become, you know, really defensive. He could have lashed out in anger at the slightest provocation. But he didn't do any of those things. And instead of grumbling at his friends, he's open with the Lord about what has happened and about how he feels. And again, you'll see he's completely unreserved about that. These these prayers, and we'll find this across the book of Psalms, that they're unsanitized. That there's no point in hiding stuff from God. There's no point in trying to sanitize our prayers. He already knows us. We may as well be open before him. There is no point in hiding. So David is completely open with the Lord. But this uh, but look with me at, at verse 15 at the heart of what he says to the Lord here verse 15 I wait for you O Lord you will answer O Lord my God It's uh, David's trust again he, de- he doesn't try to fix an impossible situation himself which would have only have made things worse He entrusts himself to the Lord and again, it's, it's hard not to be reminded of the Lord Jesus on the cross, abandoned by his so-called friends and companions, hated without reason, mocked in his misfortune. But he did not retaliate. Uh, instead, as the apostle Peter reminds us in the New Testament, uh, and the, the prophets foretold for us, Uh, This is from 1 Peter chapter 2. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and this is the key, instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now I have seen people uh, spiritually uh, wounded or, or even crippled when, when their Christian friends have failed them. Uh, it does happen, doesn't it? And um, that, that failure then becomes an excuse for them, for, for them to retaliate and, and pull away in re- retaliation, indulge in, in bitterness and self-pity. Some even use it as an excuse to walk away from their faith. And that's a hugely dangerous reaction, isn't it? even if it's to some extent understandable. Because the truth of the matter is, of course, at some point our friends will fail us just as we fail other people. But what's the better way to react? It's the way that David reacts in prayer. It's the way Jesus reacts in trusting himself to the one who judges justly. We can find this better way in Him. You know, He knows what it's like to be abandoned and, and hated. And in Him, we can find all the support and comfort and encouragement we need, even if all the world walks away from us or turns against us. In Him, we can find security, safety, the promise of justice and vindication. In Him, we can pray along with David and make this psalm our own. Uh, so yes, life uh, can sometimes feel like being a character in a TV drama. Uh, sometimes the scriptwriter feels like it feels like the scriptwriter is is kind of playing with us, playing with our situation, compounding every problem, exposing and multiplying every mistake and failure. And the Christian life can feel like that too. And we might well be thinking or crying to ourselves, "How did I get here? Uh, and how on earth can I get out of this?" Is there no end to the the torment and, and anguish? Where are all my friends gone? Why all this hatred against me? Why does it seem like everyone's delighting in my failures and misfortune? And we might well be thinking, as we might think watching a Jed Mercurio TV drama, this is not going to end well. But Psalm 38 reminds us it doesn't have to end badly. We don't have to give up in despair. Because of Jesus, it doesn't have to end badly. Because of Jesus, we can follow David and open up before God, pour out our despair, cry out for mercy, confident that he will hear and respond. Confident that what happens after this prayer is restoration and forgiveness. Confident because the wrath and anguish is taken by Jesus. Confidence because the outcome is guaranteed by his death and resurrection on our behalf. Then we might be feeling this is not going to end well, but it does. And what we're going to do now is, um, I'm going to pray. Uh, For anyone here tonight who's particularly feeling themselves in a a point of intense um, anguish. Uh, And perhaps in that anguish, uh, you're aware that, at least in part, you are responsible for it. Now, please let me also say that, um, if that is you, please... great for you to, to talk to someone or to pray to someone, and I'll be very happy to pray with, with someone later, and I'm sure Pete would um, also, and uh, we'll be hanging around at the end. Uh, and then w- once I've prayed there, we're going to join together in the, uh, the general confession that you'll find on page three of the service sheet, and uh, I think we'll find the language uh, here is quite old-fashioned, uh, but now there, there's, a, there's a depth of thought to it. And uh, lots of connections with Psalm 38 um, that will also be very helpful for us. Uh, but let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do want to pray uh, very earnestly uh, now for anyone uh, here tonight uh, desperately in anguish, and particularly for those in anguish because of their sin. And I pray that you might bring about in their hearts uh, a conviction and an awareness of the depth of that uh, but also an openness towards you a willingness not to hide any more but to be utterly open with you and i pray that you would help them now to cry out for mercy i pray uh, for them to have friends who will help them rather than hinder them i pray for them Uh, Mercy from you, forgiveness, cleansing, security. All of these things on the basis of of the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me invite you to join in with this uh, confession together. Let's pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent